speak to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We'll continue here in the book of James. We're looking at worthy wisdom in a withering world. James chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 18. Now we live in a day where you can uh, just about go and find the answers to any problems you have. We live in a day when many will claim to have the answers to the problems we face. Uh, some uh, common things that might be said is, well, if you do this, or if you buy this, your problem will be solved. Ever heard that before? You know? You buy this, solve all your problems. Many times, teenagers will have conflicts with their parents, and their friends will be quick to give a solution. Of course, it may not be a good solution. It may be an unwise solution. It may be a damaging solution, but everybody's got some solutions. Wives sometimes struggle with their husbands, and they get unscriptural advice from their friends, or their family, or ungodly psychiatrists. And folks, if you're getting your advice for your problems from a TV talk show, then you're going to be in deep trouble. Because they're not giving sound biblical advice. Is Dr. Phil still on? I don't even know if he's still on. But he's one that likes to give advice. And uh, he's got all kinds of advice, but it's not biblical advice. So how do we get the right kind of help when problems come? How do we know if the help is going to be agreeable with God? How do we know what to do? Whom do we go to that has true wisdom that can help us? Well, James asked these kinds of questions and then gave us some answers. So let's look at James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Those a worthy question first. A worthy question. Who is a, a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Who is wise? Who is intelligent? Now, you notice James mentions two things here. He mentions wisdom and knowledge. They're not necessarily the same thing. They, they, they're not the same. Many folks have knowledge today. They even get straight A's in school, but they have no wisdom. Knowledge enables you to take things apart. Wisdom enables you to put things back together and relate God's truth to daily living. You know, it's better to have wisdom without learning than to have learning without wisdom. Now the word knowledge comes to us a meaning intelligent experience, one having the knowledge of an expert. Uh, the person with knowledge has gained it by careful observation, careful study. This is the idea behind the word. And so this wisdom is shown to us two ways. Number one, wisdom by works. Wisdom by works. James says, if you have wisdom, then let's see it. Show it to me in your works. Now this is not a request. 
Because it's written in such a way that it's a command. Uh, we are not to show our wisdom by our conversation or talk. You mostly know the word conversation in the King James Bible does not merely mean what we say. Uh, the meaning of the word it has to do with our lifestyle, our manner of life. That includes the things we say, uh, our conduct, our behavior. And we're to show wisdom by the way we live. Now James is talking about practical Christianity or Christianity in action. And the true test of wisdom in, is in works, not words. Wisdom is measured by deeds, not degrees. A wisdom is not the acquiring of truth, but the applying of truth. Worthy wisdom is truly living your life by the Word of God. So wisdom comes by works. Secondly, wisdom with meekness. We're to show our wisdom with meekness. Now what does that mean? Well, the word meekness, again, is a word which means gentleness. It accepts dealings and dispositions without resistance. Uh, it accepts without retaliation the results and the injuries caused by others. And recognizes these offenses are under God's control. Now this word describes a uh, attitude of deliberate acceptance. It's used to describe a horse that's been broken and trained to accept the bridle. That's the picture that you can uh, apply with that particular word. And so you show your wisdom by your works and with meekness. Secondly, he goes on to talk about the world's wisdom in verses 14 through 16. Now, we notice, first of all, the symptoms in verse 14. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. And there are four symptoms that are given by James uh, of the world's wisdom. The first one is selfish ambition. Uh, we have the word envy, bitter envying. Now, the word envy... Uh, means selfish ambition, zeal uh, or jealousy, boil to bubble up. And the word was used to describe a fanatical zeal for a cause. And in the case, uh, in this case, it had the idea of boiling within to do wrong. The word bitter is the Greek word, which means harsh. It's derived from the root word, which means to cut or prick or pierce, fasten together. And when someone gets bitter, they pierce themselves and they build up or fasten together a hatred for someone else. And the biggest loser of hatred and jealousy is going to be us. There were two men. One was named Envious and the other was named Covetous. The ruler summoned them to grant them one wish. The first man chose to choose would get his wish, but the other man would get double the first wish. Well, Envious spoke up first, and he asked that one of his eyes be put out. The man, other man lost both of his eyes. Envy and bitterness hurts you as well as it hurts others. Now, the wisdom of this world exalts man. It exalts man and it robs God of his glory. 1 Corinthians 1.17 For Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel not with the wisdom of 
of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect. Paul said in verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. In verse 31, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So the question is, do we rejoice when others succeed, or do we have a secret envy, a bitterness, and a criticalness in our hearts? If so, you have the wits or the wisdom of a withering world. Secondly, there's strife. The word strife uh, comes from a word that means extreme selfishness, contentiousness, or a party spirit. The Greeks used the word to describe a politician that was canvassing for votes at any cost. Uh, he would do anything to get people on his side. Unfortunately, there are people that creep into churches and do the same thing uh, to try to get God's people uh, on their side, to do things their way. And the spirit, uh, spirit of self-seeking creates a, a rivalry and a, a division within a church and even a home. When a person is concerned about demoting others, we need to understand that he's also concerned about promotion of himself. He has the wisdom of the withering world. Paul tells us what attitude we're supposed to have in our lives. In Philippians 2, verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So there's self-ambition as a symptom. There's strife. And thirdly, there's self-praise. It's another symptom of world's wisdom, and it's boasting. Self-praise or strutting. James says we're not to we're to glory not. Uh, these words mean uh, to boast oneself to the injury of a person or a thing. Pride loves to boast. When God's wisdom is at work, there's a sense of humility and submission. A person should want the Lord to be glorified. But yet, when a person is boastful, he wants himself to be glorified. When a person uh, has the attitude, well, it's my way or my life, and I want to do it my way, that's glorifying itself, not God. If you're going to do service for the glory of God, you won't get offended if you don't get recognized or patted on your back. A fourth symptom would be slyness. Self-ambition, strife, self-praise, and slyness. Or we could even call it subterfuge. There's a bigger word for it. James says, lie not against the truth. The world says God doesn't care. There's nothing wrong with this or that. Uh, let's, you're so narrow. You need to loosen up. You know, I don't think one little sin is going to hurt anybody. James tells us not to lie to ourselves. We have a tendency to deceive ourselves. Paul warned us about this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. He said, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So the world's Wisdom has these four symptoms that James gives to us. But notice that he goes on to talk about the source of the world's wisdom. Verse 15. Who is a wise man, or excuse me, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. 
So we take apart this verse a little bit and we see the source of God's or the world's wisdom. The source of the world's wisdom. First of all, it's not from above. It's not based upon biblical principles. It's not from heaven. But it is earthly. It's from this world. Uh, God said this kind of wisdom is foolish. 1 Corinthians 1.20 Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? You see, man's wisdom comes from his reason. But God's wisdom comes from revelation. The revelation of his word. And the word's wisdom is humanistic. It says, do your own thing. It's your life. Do whatever you want. If it feels good, do it. That's the world. It's perfect. Thirdly, it's sensual. Sensual. It's natural or animalistic. It's a sensuous nature with a subject, uh, subjection to appetite or passion. And decisions and lifestyles are based on the flesh, not God's word. They're worldly, they're sensual values. And then lastly, it's devilish. In other words, it's demonic. It drives people apart, not together. Now, I'm not talking about demon possession or anything like that. But, you know, we have an adversary, the devil, and his host. And they are busy trying to drive people apart, not together. They're busy trying to drive churches apart and not together. You remember Genesis 3, uh, the reasoning of Satan is revealed, and he hasn't changed. He's still doing the same thing over and over, even today, trying to put a wedge between people, between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between church folks and their pastor. <coughs> Satan perverted God's word. He said, you won't die. <clears throat> Question God's word. Yea, hath God said? And he began to appeal to Eve's pride. He said, your eyes will be opened and you will be as God's. Satan confounds and he confuses. He's the author of worldly wisdom. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 1 for a moment. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we're going to very quickly here go through and see the effects of worldly thinking. Romans chapter 1, and we'll see the effects of worldly thinking. Look at verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. A worldly way of thinking is pride. It causes us to think we are wise when we really were fools. 23. They changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into the image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Worldly thinking rejects God. It comes up with its own gods. And it makes these gods uh, to worship. 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. 
this kind of thinking dishonors the body. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It causes you to lose common sense, believing lies and rejecting truth. And then verse 26, for this cause God gave them up into vile affections. Even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. It creates sexual confusion and corruption. That's what the world's wisdom does. So this is worldly wisdom, and it's of the devil. Now, we have seen the symptoms and the source, but then notice, thirdly, the sequel. The sequel, back in James chapter 3 and verse 16. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every every evil world. Notice two things here. There's confusion. The word confusion means instability, a state of disorder, disturbance, commotion, disarray, tumult, rebellion. And that's what happens when we get bitter, when we get jealous. Uh, confusion results when our ideas and our plans blow up in smoke and our, our life falls apart. The envious and the bitter person is never at rest. Those who are double-minded are unstable and restless. Remember what he said in chapter 1, verse 8? A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And so there's confusion. But there's also carnality. The word evil here in verse 16, every evil word means good for nothing. Worthless, wicked. Uh, when we're consumed with jealousy and bitterness, we become focused on very trivial things. And we end up wasting our lives on that which is worthless and good for nothing. We're offended by every little thing that a person does. When we come along and they, they offend us, they can't do anything right. And that's what worldly wisdom does. It produces trouble and waste. When we have wrong thoughts, it produces wrong living, wrong attitudes, wrong actions. Now, just a reminder, there's a number of Bible illustrations that we can look at this morning. I won't go into all of them in detail, but it's where envy produced waste. What about very early in the Bible? Cain killed Abel because of his envy. Ambition gripped Absalom's heart and turned him against his father. Envy drove Haman to build gallows for Mordecai. Envy caused the religious leaders to deliver Jesus to Pilate. It's a serious matter to be a troublemaker, especially if you're a Christian. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16 says, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, and a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. And many believers are going to stand empty handed, I believe, before the Lord Jesus Christ one day at the judgment seat of Christ, because they're wasting their lives on wrong attitudes, wrong priorities. 
They go through life pretending that they're spiritual instead of being genuine. Uh, they would rather be goof-proof than glorify God. They have the wisdom of withering world, and they lose some of the blessings they could have had. Now, we've talked about a worthy question, and we've talked about the wisdom of the world, but notice James then tells us about the worthy wisdom of God. The worthy wisdom of God. We see this beginning in verse 17. Verse 17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Godly wisdom starts with the fear of God. God says that His wisdom is from above. Where do we get godly wisdom? Well, we get several places. We get wisdom from the Lord and His Spirit. Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with my mind. We get wisdom not only from the Lord and His Spirit, but we get wisdom from the Word of God. 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And we get wisdom from believing prayer. James 1, verse 5, And many of you lack wisdom, but the mass of God, that giveth to all men liberally and afraideth not, and it shall be given. And then we get wisdom from godly counselors. Proverbs 24, 6, for by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war. And in the multitude of counselors there is safety. So these are the characteristics of godly wisdom. Now what are they? First of all, there's godly wisdom is pure. In verse 17 here, the word pure means not contaminated, free from defilement, pure enough to be offered even to sacrifices. Uh, this statement shows us the importance of holiness in our lives. God's wisdom leads to purity of life, and man's wisdom leads to sinfulness. Secondly, godly wisdom is peaceable. Again, here in verse 17, there's the word peaceable. It carries with it the idea of having a right relationship with men and with God. Man's wisdom leads to competition, rivalry, and war. God's wisdom leads to peace. And the peace is based upon holiness not a compromise with evil. You say, well, I'm just going to get along with everybody, even if it means giving in to their sin. God's wisdom leads to peace, and it's based on fullness. The peace of a church is not more important than the purity of a church. If a church is pure and devoted to God, there will be peace among the brethren. Persecution from the world, though, is very, very possible. Isaiah 32, 17, And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. A church can never have peace by sweeping sins or false teaching under the rug and pretending, well, it's not there. Man says, cover up your sin and it'll keep your th everybody together. We'll just uh, dwell together in unity. Just cover up. God says, confess your sins, and my peace will keep things together. You see, arrogant wisdom separates man from man. Cruel wisdom hurts others with words. Depraved wisdom draws men away from God. 
true wisdom brings us closer to the Lord and closer to others. Godly wisdom is pure. It's peaceable. And thirdly, it's placid. So that's a strange word to use. It starts with a P, remember? Okay? And uh, it means gentle, or it means placid, sweet, reasonableness, moderation without compromise. It carries the idea of being prepared to see the best in the worst people and willing to forgive them instead of condemning them. And it has gentleness without weakness. You know, a gentle person doesn't deliberately cause fights, but does not compromise the truth in order to keep the peace. He's a person that's strong, but also kind. A gentle person will stand firm in his convictions, but will be tolerant when it comes to his preferences. Convictions are something we're willing to die for no matter what, but we're not willing to do this when it comes to preferences. So godly wisdom is pure, it's peaceable, it's placid, and then fourthly, it's pliable. Verse 17 says, Godly wisdom is easy to be entreated. This phrase comes from the word which means easily obeying or compliant, approachable, open to reason, teachable. It's actually a military word. A good soldier knows how to receive and execute orders. A person who is easily entreated is willing to listen and knows how to wisely yield. He's not stubborn, but he's willing to listen to godly reason and appeal. He's ready to obey the Lord in his life. The opposite of this is being stubborn, argumentative, and rebellious. You know, some folks are stubborn, like the man who, during the presidential election, put a bumper sticker on his car and said, My mind is made up. Don't confuse me with facts. And I've met people whose minds are made up, and they don't want to hear the truth when it's staring them right in the face. They're not pliable. Fifthly, God's wisdom is pardoning. Again, verse 17, the phrase full of mercy means to be controlled by mercy. The word mercy means kindness or good, goodwill toward the miserable and the afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. Biblical mercy has pity that results in practical help. Someone has said an ounce of help is worth a ton of pity. Mercy gets involved with those who are in need. It was the Good Samaritan that showed mercy to the beaten Jew. Uh, he got involved in that man's life and he met the man's needs. The lawyer wanted to talk about neighborliness, but he was unwilling to be a neighbor and help someone. God's wisdom is practical, but it's pardoning. It brings forth action. And that brings us to the sixth one. God's word is practical. The wisdom is God's wisdom is practical. It's full of good fruits. It says there in verse 17, uh, it says, uh, full of mercy and good fruits. God's wisdom doesn't make a life empty but full. Faithful people are fruitful people for the Lord. And then God's wisdom is persistent. He says here, without partiality. This phrase comes from a word used only here in the New Testament. The word means unwavering, unshakable, singleness of mind, not being judgmental, not being divisive, impartial, without vacillation or doubtfulness. Being without partiality is the opposite of wavering and instability. So God's wisdom helps you to be decisive, 
especially when it comes to doing what is right and living for God. God wants us to make up our minds to serve Him, and we can do this without hesitation or fear. Make up your mind to serve God with your life. Don't waste it. Don't throw it away. Godly wisdom is persistent. And then godly wisdom is plain. It's plain. It says, without hypocrisy. This phrase comes from the word which means undisguised, sincere, without play acting, genuine. You know, a hypocrite in the ancient Greeks was a person who played the part of an actor. The word refers to a person who acts differently than he really is. Worldly wisdom is sincere many times, but God's wisdom is characterized by openness, plainness, and honesty. What we are is important to the world. The wisdom from above causes us to be genuine, and the wisdom of the world causes us to be hypocritical. To be a Christian and not to live the Christian life is to be a failure in a hypocrite. Ephesians 4, verse 7, or 15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And so as James closes out the chapter, telling us that sowing the peace yields a harvest of righteousness, verse 18, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You know that the world today neither has peace or righteousness. You know, every century has been characterized by one key emphasis. The 17th century, you go back there and you look, it was emphasized mathematics. The 18th century emphasized physical science. The 19th century emphasized biology. The 20th century emphasized war. In fact, there were two world wars and then many other wars. And the 21st century is, I think, uh, we would say it's, it's uh, characterized by technology, isn't it? Now, we have all kinds of technology available to us. Hardly any of you have a home phone anymore because you have a cell phone. Uh, most of you have a television or some kind of a way of, of, of watching what's going on in the world. There are many different things. But the question is, has that really given us progress? Is it really progress? Does it make us more spiritual? Does it cause us to be closer to God? The wisdom of this world, I think, is withered. Now, the knowledge of this world is going nuts. But where's the wisdom to use the knowledge that we have for the glory of God? You live your life by the wisdom of this world, you're going to suffer the terrible decisions that have tragic consequences. Proverbs 4, verse 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. I wonder this morning, are you living with the world's wisdom in mind, or are you living with God's wisdom? Let's pray.